This episode is brought to you by Jeff Bramis, recycling real estate in Bellingham since 2001. Jeff Bramis, real estate for real people. the subdued string band jamboree plan our year around it. But what if we didn't have to wait until August to hear the sounds of the slanted stage? My name is Robert Sarazen Blake. For 19 years, I've been the host of the party we call the subdued string band jamboree. And now, now I'll be your host for an hour of music, monologue, and memories from jamborees past, present, and future. Each jamboree, while you've been dancing and lounging in the field, we've been capturing the magic posterity. We've decided to bring those recordings back into the light. Myself and the Bell Pod Network are proud to present the Subdued Radio Hour. Subscribe now and join me as I drop the needle on two decades of jamboree joy. The Subdued Radio Hour will premiere Tuesday, November 12th, live on KMRE 102.3 FM in Bellingham, and worldwide on Monday, November 25th, everywhere podcasts are found. City Big Sound. I'm David Penderlofgren. We've kept you waiting long enough for this episode, and I've nearly lost my voice thanks to a strong case of the common cold, so I won't do too much blathering here at the top, other than to say that this month's guest is a dear friend of mine, and likely a friend of yours as well. Jan Peters has been cultivating remarkable groups of musicians and listeners alike for over 20 years in our little city. Before moving to Bellingham, he played music professionally for a decade based in Davis, California, and after moving to Bellingham in the late 90s, built a dedicated following of listeners and dancers with his bands The Monday Night Project and The Naked Hearts. After a brief hiatus back to Central California, he came to Bellingham once again with a newly found love for Irish music. Since then, Jan's built a thriving community of trad enthusiasts around his weekly Irish and Folk Mondays, honing his skill and taste as a concert producer and promoter of acoustic music of many stripes. And he's been deepening his art through playing with Gallo Glass and a variety of other projects. Just before our publishing deadline, Jan was kind enough to join Andy and I in the studio to share his stories and his music. Here's our conversation. John Peters, welcome. Hi, David. Uh, before we get into the interview, I think it's important that I mention that you and I have been friends for a number of years now and bandmates since 2014, I think, when we started Gala Glass. Uh, I'll do my best in my host duties to make sure that we don't stray too far into like inside jokes and uh, and obscure references. But I have to say that I'm really glad that we have this opportunity to talk about your life and career in this moment, if I've done my math correctly, you moved to Bellingham from Davis, California, just about 20 years ago. On the day that we release this episode as a podcast, you'll be celebrating five years of producing Irish and Folk Mondays. I think, right? Yes, five full years, starting, starting year six. And just around the corner, you'll be celebrating a birthday that, let's say, ends in a zero. <laughs> uh, 
so like I said, I'm, I'm glad that we're sitting down now because like this is sort of a moment where we can, I think we can look back at some like sort of milestones and things that you've been working on. Prior to moving to Bellingham, you were playing music professionally based in sort of the Davis Sacramento area of California. Can you talk about what drew you to Bellingham in the late 90s from there? Yeah, absolutely. Family. Um, my sister Maggie and uh, came here to go to Fairhaven College. Um, and then my brother Tony was here and my mom moved over here to, once Maggie was going to have Morgan. That's your niece, yep. That's my niece. So I came to visit. I was touring with a group called Clan Dyken. Um, a rabble rouser activist band, like really walk their talk, amazing group of people who do nonstop work for the progressive causes, especially indigenous people's rights. I had the honor and privilege of working with them for two years. We made an album called Revive the Beauty Way. We had just made it and I was playing keys, like piano and organ and singing harmonies, three, a lot of three-part harmonies. And uh, it was life-changing, but I came up to visit in 98 my family on a lark just because I hadn't seen them in a long time and kind of never left. So uh, I'm thinking this was like 98 or 99, right? It's 98, summer 98. I made it a point to remember that. Okay. So uh, yeah, paint the picture of like what is Bellingham when you get here? What does it feel like to you? It feels like the Old Town Cafe and going down there and playing music and, and starting to meet really cool musicians right away. Uh, it feels like the farmer's market. It feels like Robert Blake, who I just had my mandolin at the market and, and he was down there and we just started playing together and, and we never stopped. And um, it feels like Jen Allen Zito, who was living in a, neat little house down in Mud Bay. And Jen is uh, Linda Allen's daughter, uh, one of her two daughters, Kristen being the other one. Um, and we just developed an instant friendship and started enjoying playing music together. And um, it feels like those places. And like my understanding is not too long after you started playing with Robert and playing with Jen, uh, the seeds of what would become the Monday Night Project were sown at Boundary Bay, but it wasn't that yet, right? Right. That so so that so we I was just playing with different people, and um, you know Robert and I started a little trio with Bruce uh, Shaw called the Grant Street Boys, and we did some Christmas holiday sh shows and whatnot. And Robert and I decided to do a weekly, and that on an off night, and who would have us. Uh, we asked Boundary, and they said, sure. And at this point, Boundary is like just a couple of years old, right? I mean, Boundary, I think, started in 97 or 98. Sure, yeah. They were. They certainly had no beer garden, no stage in the back, and their music program was strictly just big holiday shows. They'd do the New Year's, the, uh, the Halloween, and the St. Patrick's Day. And um, Mondays were quiet. One bartender... And not a lot going on, kind of close up early type of thing. So uh, we started playing there just for meals and tips and uh, developed a following. And it was a lovely listening audience. And we got deeper and deeper into it. And then that Robert was just starting in those days to do his solo touring, like to the Midwest and East Coast and developing all of that, that now he's doing quite a lot. And 
he's like, well, I'm going to go on tour. And I was like, well, what am I going to do here? I've got this, we've got this sweet scene going. And uh, I didn't want to do it by myself. And Stell Newsom had just moved to town. So uh, that's a whole nother <laughs> can of worms, a whole nother story about who, who he is. But a lot of people know who he is. And he's just a great guitar player and a very um, uh, animated performer and, and wonderful singer. And he's just a jammer. And so that, you know, I asked him if he'd like to do Mondays with me because we had just met around a campfire recently. And he said, sure. So a change from me chasing Robert around on his material on mandolin to us doing some Jan songs and Stell songs because Stell could jam to my stuff. Right. And um, so I started bringing out dusting off things and doing some covers that I like to do. And um, people started to come and sit in and then people started to kind of move the tables and start dancing and, you know, skip ahead a couple months. And it's just like there's a crowd coming to dance every Monday and they've got two bartenders. Uh, skip ahead a few more months and I'm like, okay, these jams are fun, but they're kind of starting to get old. Let's be a band and let's rehearse so that we can, you know, keep building this before the audience notices that <laughs> that these jams are really aren't going anywhere. So freeze for a second. That uh, When you decide, okay, this has been sort of a Monday night jam session at Boundary, and then you say, let's make this a band. Who are the people that you're talking about that you're going to turn into a band? Uh, Noah Patterson was on drums. Um, Josh Prohinsky on bass. Let's see. <laughs> Stell, me, and my sister Maggie, basically. That was the, the original band, I believe. So Stell's playing guitar. And at that point, uh, so Stell's probably best known in Bellingham for being the front man for Sweetheart at the Rodeo. That's right. Um, was he playing in that band too, or was that... That's going to happen later on. That's going to happen later. So Stell's yeah. playing guitar. You're playing mandolin exclusively, right? Or are you, are you playing piano in that too? No, just mandolin and sometimes the bazooki. Yeah. Uh, but I didn't think of it as the way I think of it now. Right. <laughs> right. You, you're playing uh, mandolin and octave mandolin. Yeah. And then your sister Maggie and you are both singing, right? So Maggie, uh, she, uh, another part of the genesis of all this is that she had said, I'd really like you to move to Bellingham so um, I can do music with you because we always sounded really great singing together. And um, we could harmonize very readily and quickly together. And um, we started developing some songs that she could, she would front. Can you talk about just sort of the pro uh, progression once you said, okay, we're a band now, and you name yourselves the Monday Night Project? Is that mm. sort of right off the bat? Yeah, I just, I just called it that. <laughs> Uh, and you cut, let's see, in 2009, you released a record. And by then we were definitely no longer, you know, at Boundary every, every Monday. That only, that last, well, not only, that was four, like, I remember noting it was four and a half years of, and before we passed the torch, and I believe we passed it to the Gallus brothers, because at that point... Lucas and Devin were just rocking the town, and um, and it was time. It was time, you know, like four and a half years of a weekly thriving show is a long is a long run. So after that, we let it go. We'd play Boundary once in a while, and then uh, it was just time. I re I remember feeling like we're not really growing. 
as much as we were to sustain a weekly. The wave of audience had changed, has shifted a little bit. So again, like I felt like I stayed ahead of, ahead of the curve and noticing it was time to relinquish the weekly. And for the next, um, you know, five years, four or five years, we played weddings, we played occasional boundary, we played, um, you know, occasional show up at the PSA Plaza for the summer music series. You know, just what bands do around here, we just played around. And um, by that time, Julian McDonough had joined the band, and that was awesome. And Brian Cunningham on guitar. So it was a jazzier, funkier thing at that point. And uh, it was it was really, really fun. So that's the band that cut the album with Tom Anastasio and bass and Jimmy Lindquist, Dr. Jimmy. Yeah, those are some... Pretty heavy hitters. Yeah. And so, <laughs> and Brian, it, this was Brian Cunningham's first full on recording project at his studio, Sharp Nine Studios. And he did amazing guitar work on the whole thing. It's, 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 it's really beautiful. And yeah. Was that primarily all your songs? Yeah. You had written all the songs, yeah. right? So by that point, as much as the original band was uh, a jam and sort of a collective of people doing things. By by the time we get to the recording, it's your band. Like you're writing the songs. I imagine you were hiring the musicians when, you know, you lose the drummer or whoever you go, okay, well, I need, I'll call Julian and see if he wants to play. He just showed up and filled in one day and that was that. <laughs> he has a way of doing that. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, the other drummer had flaked and, and, and uh, Julian was down for it. So that was awesome. So this is one of the pieces of the story that I know almost nothing about. I know you as Jan in the Monday Night Project. And the next pinpoint that I have is the Naked Hearts. I have no idea what happens, like how long, how much time passes between the Monday Night Project ending, if it ever did sort of like officially end or whether that just sort of fizzled out. And then when the Naked Hearts starts as a, a band, which is sort of your next like, in my mind, your next like notable sort of Jan is leading a band thing. Yeah, it was, I, th I think, a similar thing of that keen sense that a thing had run its course, you know. Uh, it, and it's easy for something like that to shift when everyone's so busy. Julian, of course, his career, you know, just having an amazing uh, growth and development opportunity as phenomenal artist that he is. Brian Cunningham getting busier with his studio. Yeah, I think it was just a, a keen sense. And then I wasn't doing anything for like a year and a half or so other than I was working at Bison Bookbinding and Letterpress. <laughs> you know, right. they had just started. I was playing with Kevin and Carly and the librarians. Oh, sure. Right. And that, that was sense. a really beautiful era. So um, Kevin and Carly, just to be clear, are the proprietors, the owners of Bison Bookbinding. Yeah. Um, I was there at the beginning for that. Yeah. And that was really fun to be a part of that. And um, it was there at Bison Bookbinding and Letterpress that, that David Anders, alias, or a.k.a. how you say it, Majnoon, which is a Sufi name that he took for himself based on a famous Sufi story, uh, showed up. He used to come to Monday Night Project, and he always said he wanted to play music with me. And I never got the sense that, you know, I was drawn to that because anyone who knows him, he was a little bit like, he had a very strong aura of like, feeling apologetic for his existence. 
you know, <laughs> which I can actually relate to. I have my own version of that that I've, you know, finally feel like I'm fully shedding, but his was really intense and constant. And, uh, but he came to my birthday party at Bison one time and brought me all these poems, some of which he had written and some of which were Sufi poems. And they were, I, 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 my eyes well, that was a beautiful show of just love. And I said, well, let's, let's sit down and play. I couldn't believe it. A guy could, he was a fantastic guitarist. You know, he'd take an Eastern European tune uh, and then harmonize it and play it in three-part harmony all by himself. Wow. You know, moving the voicings up and down at, at, at a very good clip. And, you know, he's just everything he did. He, he, and he composed these wicked cool tunes. And so we started playing together and we asked, uh, Aaron Harmonson was around and he was into it. Dan Duggan was around and played accordion, and I think that was the quartet. Right. I wanted to quickly mention we had Lucas Hicks play with us a bunch of times. Mm. He was a really welcome. We did a whole. We did a lot. He would sit in sometimes, and then he was our percussionist when we had we could hire him for weddings and parties and things. And that that was a real special time with Lucas, and we had a really nice groove and. Kevin Woods would come sit in once in a while. So we started a weekly at the honeymoon on Thursdays. And that grew into a thriving weekly. A year and a half later, it, the audience changed to a packed college crowd who enjoyed the vibe of the music but weren't there for the music. Right. And we couldn't hear ourselves anymore. So we kind of switched over to the Blue Horse Gallery. Right. So before we go too far, the piece of the story that you and I both know, but like hasn't been mentioned yet, is that it turns out that Majnoon, David Anders, was like in the late 60s, early 70s, touring with bands that were on the road with like Bob Dylan and... John Denver. John Yeah, like really, he he was in the center of the, the folk revival as it was happening. Yeah, he was a sideman guitarist for um, a famous folk trio called Chad Mitchell Trio. And um, years and years later, um, someone, not him, <laughs> unearthed a video of them playing with John Denver uh, on some you know TV station stage. Whoa. And there he is on stage, you know, and just playing some tasty acoustic guitar with these you know, turtleneck sweater guys singing beautiful harmonies of that kind of Kingston trio sort of stuff. So it's my read that, uh, like with the Monday Night Project, you were doing a lot of, uh, for lack of a better term, sort of world music, quote unquote. There was some, you know, Calypso, Afro stuff happening inside of the tunes that you guys were writing, uh, the songs that you guys were writing. But the Naked Hearts feels like the first time that you, Jan, as a player, are like playing tunes, as we call them in Irish music, but literally like just like playing really complicated melodies as the focus of the song, right? That it's like they're instrumental tunes and they're like complicated stuff. Is that true? Or were you playing tunes before that? Hold no. On. <coughs> I need to get some tea. Hold on. Hold that Stand thought. By. 
solo. And that is a, what I consider to be a slightly bluesified traditional Irish tune. Jan's just t- totally taken over the... Hi, welcome back to Jan Song's <laughs> Talks. Uh. Now, there's a couple of notes I intentionally put the blues tinge on that some people might find... Let's break it down uh, note for uh, note. Offensive, <laughs> distasteful, but I, I think they're placed just right myself. So... Um, so the question is, is, is the Naked Hearts when you first really start playing tunes as like uh, instrumental tunes? That's a, that's a neat question. I, one I would have never thought of about my own you know, the life in music. Um, I would say so. I, I worked hard on the mandolin in those days to play Django Reinhardt tunes and some like um, the Eastern European uh, klezmer things that we that we played, and that made me a better soloist. And I was definitely growing on the mandolin. And um, it was hard for me, though. I, I've, I've never, it's never come that easily to me to develop uh, articulate tune playing on a stringed instrument. But it was it was happening. You know, I was I was singing in that band. I had developed one very special harmonica set that was fun. I took an American fiddle tune and then put it in um, from major to natural minor to harmonic minor. And I called it Forked Deer Goes Around the World. And it was uh, inevitably a a strong dance number. But yeah, so... um, that's that's neat to put it in that perspective. Yeah, I was working hard on tune playing, melody playing, head playing. I guess I don't really know how the Naked Hearts, like what the spark was. You mentioned sitting down with Majinun and sort of making a connection. But did you guys decide at some point, like, we're going to start a band? Bring me through that process. For better or worse, I've always been gig-oriented. Like, that's just, for some reason what motivates me. It brings in some income, you know, a meal and some drink, you know, and so the honeymoon was having music and it was the early days of the honeymoon. And I think there's a lot of us who who are that way. You know, we're we're gig oriented. We we like to perform and that doesn't mean it's an ego thing. It means that when you're performing, it's a dynamic that causes you to not only want to be your best, but be your best in the moment. Like you have no choice in a sense. There you are. You put yourself in a situation. And for me, it's just, it, it's always, I've, I've never really understood what it meant until recently to work really hard to be a really good musician for some reason. But I've always had great ears and a, and a really nice voice and enough fundamental skills to be a good team player and put neat music together, fun music together. Naked Hearts was kind of the beginning of me wanting to work harder on chops. And so as soon as 
Maj Noon and I, I think we started as a duo, and then we attracted Aaron Harmonson and Dan Duggan, who just basically asked if he could play with us. Mm. <laughs> and then once you grow, once you have a scene that's attracting audience members, then you attract other musicians. And we just, we, we like to perform. We like to share what we're about. Mm. We're meant to. My uh, sort of emotional memory of the Naked Hearts is that walking into the honeymoon here and having you guys just sort of being in the corner playing, it felt, it felt like you were sort of walking into a, a different world. You know, that like the types of music, and I think for me, and I imagine this happened for a lot of people, um, I wasn't exposed to a wide world of music and walking into, you know, as a sort of mid twenties, early twenties person walking into this, into the honeymoon, which is a special place unto itself. And then having you guys do like klezmer tunes and Roma swing tunes and Eastern European tunes, it felt like, whoa, I, I don't know if I knew that I could like this music because I just never had an opportunity to feel like it was in a world that was accessible to me. And the thing that you brought felt like like you were just sort of inviting people in for the magic of that thing, you know? I wonder, um, I wonder how aware you were in the moment of creating that atmosphere, of, of creating this thing that like felt really special when you walked into it. I was aware of it for myself. <laughs> okay. You know, it felt very special to me. And I wanted to push that band to be more serious, but it wasn't really going to happen. <laughs> so that was one of my, I had to let go of that. Um, and what that meant to me was um, probably rehearsing more, trying to get a recording going and all those things that I'm sort of hell bent to do and be, which is, you know, <laughs> you have something that's, that feels um, very special. And it was the chemistry is there. The musicianship is there. The body of, of material is, is unique and cool and, and certainly pushed me to work harder and be a better musician we had these killer players coming to sit in, like Julian and Kevin. Once in a while, when they were free, they just popped down. And I think that you, it comes back to you sometimes when someone like yourself would say that. <laughs> and then I think also you just feel, you, on some level, you feel that. If there's a crowd coming every week to listen to you. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's being transmitted that, it's, that we're doing something special. Yeah. So Majnoon passed away at the end of 2013. Was that, was that the end of the Naked Hearts? Is that sort of like what ended the band? No, it ended before that. Okay. Because he was in his late 80s by that time. And it was getting a little harder for him to, to keep himself together performance ready and he was central to the sound i mean mm -hmm. he was absolutely central he had incredible rhythm and melody playing 
abilities. And um, there had been some shows where it was just getting, it was just like, it wasn't fun for him anymore. It was more stress. And so we talked about it. And that's when I asked Brian Cunningham to join the band. And as a reminder, he would, Brian was the guitar player who stepped into the Monday Night Project, yep. uh, engineered the record there. So That's you right. sort of inviting him in the second half of the chapter of the next band into the band as well. That's neat. Yeah. And now we're looking at talking, we're talking about starting a blues band. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you going to say you're, you're inviting him to join Gala Glass, <laughs> which yet. means we're halfway through the tenure of our band. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so. I think I'll hold off on that. Um yeah, and so he, I mean, of course, he's great, and he's a jazz guitarist who who likes um, really good folk music, and and uh, I distinctly remember doing a show at the Old World Deli, and Majnoon coming and dancing the entire time. Wow, that's with cool. Brian on guitar, and he was he felt free and happy, mm-hmm. and he he felt I think proud of his, you know, um, lineage and contribution and hearing his own material performed and acknowledging him to the room full of people. Like, here's the man who composed this song. Let's, let's, give, let's give a big hand for Majnoon. Oh God, he, you know, he just lit up. He was this happy elf. Mm. This episode is brought to you by Irish and Folk Mondays at Green's Corner. Every Monday, Jan Peters hosts a thriving Irish music session, followed by a stunning acoustic concert series featuring local, regional, and nationally touring artists performing a wide variety of folk and traditional music. Listeners and players alike can enjoy the great selection of food and drink available at Green's Corner, experience the age-old tradition of session playing with Bellingham's intergenerational Celtic music community, and revel in the world-class sounds of the feature performance. This month, Jan Song's Productions is proud to present the eclectic song stylings of Evan Ingalls, the twin cello wizardry of Ladies Low, mighty powerful songs and tunes from Alex Sturbaum, and the homemade music of Flip and Zeke. For showtimes and more, visit jansongsproductions.com and follow Irish and Folk Mondays on Facebook. Irish and Folk Mondays at Green's Corner. If Mondays make you blue, come to Green's. I guess so. You were you were saying I was asking you about the end of um, the Naked Hearts. So Brian takes over on guitar. Maj Noon gets to see see his legacy in in front of him, yeah. which is cool and revel. Yeah, and then and then what happens there? At a certain point, you leave Bellingham. But how do you get from Maj Noon dancing to the Naked Hearts to Jan decides to leave? Yeah. So it was again a situation where. Um, me noticing and paying attention, it just seemed like it was time to to let it go. Um, people being very busy, Aaron Harmonson, um, you know, getting busy, busier and busier, playing bass, uh, doing a lot of Seattle stuff at that point. And it just felt like time to move on. And once that feeling became a really clear realization, I decided to go back to Davis, California, to take a break from um, my first, whatever, of 12 years in Bellingham or so, 
and reconnect with some people there and uh, just sort of shake things up a little bit for myself. Okay, but I feel like that's too clean of a narrative. Like, really what, I mean, deciding to leave Bellingham, like you have... Okay, I'll tell you. Okay. <laughs> you successfully. Here's what you really want to know is yeah, that. Yeah, well, give me the details. What I, happened? I not only were, were the naked hearts uh, winding down, but I had a relationship end. Mm. And with someone that uh, is still a very dear friend and um, was moving, going back to um, Spain and India on her travels and studies of. Uh, you know, ethno-medicinal studies. It was a beautiful parting of ways between us, but uh, it was also epic. And it felt like I was very in love and I, I, I felt like everywhere I went, I would see her, but she wasn't there. Mm. And that also propelled me to want to get out of town for a while and just, you know, get some different scenery and reconnect with... Uh, people in Davis, which we really haven't talked about, I don't think, but Not at all. that's where I started playing music professionally, started singing and playing in front of people, getting over my terror of it, uh, which I was, and that was like, uh, I'm approaching 30 years old in Davis, California, and I'm absolutely terrified to do anything with music and had no concept of discipline with, you know, what to do with all these musical feelings. But that's where I started doing something about it. And so I went back down there. And at that point, I was a different musician and um, different person in some ways. And it was very fun. I was starting to play more harmonica. And I was, at that point, had fallen in love with really good Irish music. But I didn't play it yet, except with Maj Noon and Naked Hearts. We did like a couple of Irish polkas because there were the Celtic Connections concerts here. And I saw Martin Hayes and Dennis Cahill. Oh, yeah. Um, at the Leopold. Right. Right in the Crystal Ballroom. That's there. right. Yeah. And I was, it changed me. <laughs> but I didn't, it didn't change me enough because of my wayward ways to start doing anything about it at that point. But it, it took up residence. Mm -hmm. And then the Naked Hearts did play a couple of Irish tunes. Maj knew how to play that music. But it was just a few things, you know. And then when I went down to Davis and I was playing one of the tunes I had learned on the mandolin, Boys of Blue Hill, and this guy I'd noticed around, Skylar Blakesley, um, uh, said, oh, I know that tune. Do you mind if I play it with you? And I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he took out his Irish flute in his little bag and put it together and proceeded to play authentically fantastic Irish flute on that hornpipe. And that started a brand new friendship. And then I met his fiddler, who is a phenomenal artist on the fiddle, Laura Cholker. And we just started jamming. And all I was doing was taking that feeling that I had gotten from that concert and others and translating that out of the mandolin by cross-picking my way through the tunes because I can hear it. Mm. Don't know what I'm doing, but I can hear it. And they found that refreshing. They were used to people accompanying that music in a, the typical sort of strumming guitar thing, and they were tired of that. 
Sure. They were ready for something different. So they reformed their group called the Blackbird, which is the name of that little tune that I just played. And, and it's uh, a 300-year-old set dance. But um, the next step was to get a bazooki, which is the octave mandolin, and do the same thing I was doing on, the, on my regular mandolin, but with a deeper, fuller sound. Uh, so you're playing mandolin, At that point, which was your primary instrument with uh, Monday Night Project and the Naked Hearts. Yeah, and singing. You're playing, right. Um, but you're playing mandolin, and then uh, uh, in Irish music, there's a tradition of playing what is essentially just a very large mandolin, right? It's a it's a octave mandolin, they might call it, but they, in Irish music, they call it the bazooki. So you're... Uh, you're playing mandolin with them, and at a certain point you go, the next step to become more sort of authentic sounding or to create the sound that I'm looking for is I have to get a, a different instrument. But uh, the way you play it is the same as playing a mandolin, right? So you, you actually, you have a bunch of benefit of like, I'm essentially playing the same instrument. It just sounds a little different. Is that true? Yeah, but one thing did change notably when I once I started playing the uh, the Irish bazooki. Um, I started strumming more. Okay. And uh, I'm better at cross-picking than I am at strumming. So that's when my education started to get serious about it began there to get, you Can know. Can you describe what cross-picking is? Yeah. That's, that's like, here's my bazooki here already. How's that? Cool. So, whereas strumming, we all know what that is. And strumming in that music is a heavy-duty art form. You know, because it's it's not like old-time music or bluegrass where you're doing a steady, you know, unta, 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 whatever, um, driving consistent thing, which is awesome. But in that music, you don't want to do it. You want to create a groove, a driving groove that is that has nuance of where the accents are and where the how the pulse lays with the tunes, mm. so it's pretty different. And you, that's what when I heard Dennis Cahill doing that, I was just like moved. So I was trying to. So as soon as I started strumming, I was like, "Wow, this is hard. This is actually really hard." <laughs> so I'm still working at it. <laughs> so you're in Davis and you're playing. Uh, did when you went down to Davis, was your intention to just sort of? change scenes, go down. Like I'm just moving back to a place where I know some players, I've got some, like I, I have a, an anchor there. Was your intention to just sort of go to Davis and stay there for a while? Did I really didn't know. I was ready to stay down there if something took root that was going to grow and become, you know, viable in terms of livelihood. Sure. And the Blackbird had that sense. And I worked really hard to get us on the map. I worked hard to get us gigs, the monthly at the Delta King, <laughs> which is an old ferry boat venue on the Sacramento River. Very cool. And, um, but, you know, generating livelihood with an Irish trio is pretty hard. And, 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 you know, the fiddler, Laura, is a single mom. 
Skyler is, is figuring his life out, and um, it it got to be time to let that go. <laughs> I saw the writing on the wall, mm. and decided to come back to Bellingham. Before you did that, you you brought the Blackbird up to uh, the Jamboree in 2013, I think, right? Sure. And I remember that as sort of a um, it was well, sort of a triumphant like. Jan Peters disappeared a few years ago, you know, and now all of a sudden he's back here in a totally different form. And we had all seen you play with the Naked Hearts, so it wasn't that far removed from, you know, it's like you're playing tunes, like you're playing traditional European tunes. That's kind of some of the stuff you're doing with the Naked Hearts, Mm -hmm. but distinctly different. You're playing with a fiddle player and a flute player, like very Irish sounding stuff. And you're playing a big, a much bigger mandolin now. do you remember what it felt like to be like sort of mashing these two worlds together to be like taking these people from Davis and saying like, I'm going to bring you to this other community where I've done a ton of work to build uh, a following and build friendships and you have a sense of what that felt like? Yeah, I was very proud to present Skylar and Laura and because they're really fantastic and players and I knew the Jamboree hadn't heard anything like, like it. And then also, um, I remember Aaron Harmison um, mentioning that it was good to see me in a strictly supportive role, although I did sing some things in that band. But I didn't, you know, I wasn't taking solos like I've always liked to do and I wasn't playing melody. And so it was me in a different role, like you're saying, a different instrument. And... um, I was proud to show them Bellingham, proud them to show them the Jamboree. That was a very, that was my big feeling. And it was fun. Uh, so at a certain point, you end up back in Bellingham. Um, what is the moment you decide, okay, you, as you said earlier, like the writing's on the wall, something needs to change here. I'm going to go back. Like I'm, I'm going back to... Well, Skyler wasn't around any as much. He lives part time in Davis, part time in Long Beach, California, with his where his family's from, and uh, doing work there. And he's an he's an act, dedicated, devoted activist. And so it was just Laura and I. And um, I mean, it's, once again, you know, there was we had a a relationship, and that uh, didn't work out and it was very it's very difficult to keep playing music with someone after a relationship change and you know I was feeling bad decided to come home mm-hmm. it's interesting that at that moment though you say that Bellingham is home because you had been in Davis for 10 years prior to being in Bellingham Davis was home and after two years back down there and considering it to become home again like had Blackbird taken off, had Laura and I continued to, you know, want to be around each other all the time and and gigging all the time, and um, had I developed another project with my other buddies down there, it could have been home again, but none of those things really happened. Mm. It was it was a profoundly wonderful, life changing time, and painful ultimately also. And so it, it, uh, when I came back, I timed it with 
a Lockie Sircell concert, who is a Vancouver, BC-based um, Romanian master of, of world violin music, and especially Roma style. And that was incredible. So um, for a while there, I started uh, bringing him down once a month for shows at the Green Frog, and we were building an audience for his music. Was that after you came back from Davis? Yeah. Okay, so you come up here, you, ha you do a reunion show with Lucky, and then you're producing his shows, which mm -hmm. you're playing on, but you're also like sort of organizing yeah. the concerts. Yeah, promoting, trying to get people turned on to it. It's interesting because now, like currently, a lot of your energy goes into organizing, promoting, like as, as a uh, promoter and organizer of shows. But did that sort of start with Locke when you came back to Bellingham? Because I don't remember you, I don't remember you like spending a bunch of time producing shows outside of the bands you were in, in your first iteration of Bellingham Musician. Exactly. It, yeah. Um, that's a really, that's a really neat question. But it started at the same time as uh, Gallo Glass forming, and I came to the decision that I wanted to do a weekly for for Irish music, and wanted to find someone to do it with. And Patter McMahon finally decided he wanted to do that. So right around that same time. As, as reconnecting with Lockie and wanting to bring him down once a month, um, I began the quest to start Irish and Folk Mondays. And then we formed very organically. And so all of a sudden I had three things to be promoting. Sure. So you, you established Irish and Folk Mondays, which listeners to this podcast should know what that is since uh, you've been sponsoring the show for six months, um, and your your ads roll in the middle uh, section every episode. So if you don't know what Irish and Folk Mondays is, go back and listen to the middle of this interview. I am interested how that started because it's morphed quite a bit. So maybe you can just talk about like the the beginning of what what you your concept was to start out, how that all formed. Yeah, it was something that um, I you know wasn't entirely sure what shape it would take. I just knew it, it that I wanted it to happen. So the idea was to uh, do an opening set, and that was with me and Patter, and then uh, have a guest, have a feature. And there was, uh, I'd already knew some local traditional music players, um, un, un, I mean, enough to to get, you know, like a couple months booked out. And began meeting new people. Brian Lindsay was around. He was one of the early ones. Mm -hmm. He was an amazing fiddler and and uh, traditional musician, American old time and Irish. And you know, once you start something like that, people come out of the work woodwork, and you start meeting and hearing more about about people. And then Patter got too busy to do it every week, or even to help me promote it. And I quickly realized it was all up to me. And then, so as far as the opening slot, um, I asked Zach Bauman of of Gallo Glass to to do alternate, 
And then Zach and I would do an opening set. It was real sweet. It was a really, really fun time. And at this point, in the very beginning, it was at the now defunct Star Club. Yep. Uh, which has been a bunch of different things, but essentially yeah. there on Holly Street. Now it's the Orion. Yep. Going very strong. Um, and then, of course, the Irish music players who live here started showing up and wanting to have a session. <laughs> but... You know, at that point, the timing was such that um, it could only happen afterwards. And it was too late for very many of them to show up, like to start at 9.30 or something. So that was a really neat season, November through um, the the first season, um, early spring. And summer hit, summer came. And I just knew it was time to move outside. So Boundary Bay and I had a conversation, and I returned to Boundary Bay on Mondays. Uh, and we put it in the beer garden, and um, they gave me um, enough of a budget to um, really develop it. And we put the session first. And so that's from 6 to 8, and then a concert from 8 to 9.30. So it was when you guys transitioned to Boundary that it really sort of you solidified the form that yep. is what it is now today. Yeah. So you were no longer playing like an opening set or something. It was session and then concert. I cu- I let, exactly, I let the opening set idea go because I saw that the session, there was a need for it. Something wanted to happen. And so I was happy to let that go, actually, just to, to bring more uh, people in and more community in. And um, it's been growing ever since. And one thing I want to say about Irish and Folk Mondays is that, uh, you know, I think people still don't realize, because the word Irish comes first, they think of it as Irish night. Well, the first part is. The second part, though, is um, the concert part is any kind of really good folk music. Appalachian, tango, early blues stuff, um, Cowboy songs, you name it. It's just got to be good and fun. It is rare to have a great, consistent audience on a Monday night. Um, it seems to, some, to be something you have a knack for doing, building a, a Monday night audience. Uh, and the word has has gotten out now where touring bands are touching base with you on a regular basis. I think that probably says a lot about the event itself. And I also think I know the nature of booking a tour. Monday night is oftentimes you sort of dread, like, should we just take Monday night off? You know, or what bar are we going to play that no one's going to be listening? But you have this thing where people can come on a Monday night as part of their tour and like know they're going to have a good house and have a good show. What does it feel like to know that you've built this thing that like it is kind of a gem, you know, the folks who are traveling across the country to come play here. uh, I think it was. I forget who it was. Someone at one of the concerts joked. They said, you know, we talk about you in Boston or something like that. You know, it's like there's a, a sense that people know that there's a Bellingham gig on Monday nights and it's a cool one. What does it feel like to know that you've you've like sort of polished this gem out here uh, up here in the the corner of the U.S. It's wonderful. I, I am very proud of it. Um, at the same time, it also feels like a certain amount of pressure 
because um, Mondays, as far as like how the money goes, this and this is a real thing for touring artists. Um, I have to handle on a case by case, you know, almost instinctive basis because it's every week and the way the money goes, and people generally, part of what keeps Mondays going is that there's a bucket at the door. And I've t- taken the word suggested, you know, door away. And it's just like I say, you know, five to 15 door. And there's a culture of appreciation. And there's, on Monday night, there's always at least $100 in there. And sometimes there's three or four. And that has to do with like, when I get a local group in that plays uh, great old time or Hawaiian music, not naming any names, sometimes they'll pack the room and sometimes just a few friends come. But in that, in, in a lot of cases, they're there to have a good time and we have a great time. Like when Devin Champlin was there recently with Andy Rick. We had a great time and the music was fantastic and I'm so proud to present these guys you know, and they're not they're not really there for the money. And there wasn't a lot of money in the jar necessarily that night. Other touring people, when they come through, because they've heard about it, and you're right, it's an off night, and they get to play a cool scene where they're appreciated, well-fed, well-loved, I give good sound. For some of them, it's less of a feeling of like, oh, whatever the door is, is fine. They... They have expectations. So that feels like a certain amount of pressure. You know, one concept that I'm trying to be more disciplined around as I go is the idea of developing funding. Mm-hmm. I do have some funding for my work, and if I didn't have it, I wouldn't be able to do this full-time, you know, for production. Um, just the life of a full-time person trying to keep do stuff in the community, keep good music going in the community, and also be a viable musician myself, growing and working hard. And then I could like promise a solid what was needed to mm-hmm. the artist and have a solid, you know, part of that, a small piece of that for myself to add to the door. And the door could just be the variable that it is. Right. And I could make these, you know, and that would feel really, really good. So if anybody wants to f- help fund Irish and Folk Mondays, you can see how amazing the programming is by looking on my site. That's yonsongsproductions.com. Yon with a J. Uh, <laughs> 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 we'll just drop that in for the, the ad. <laughs> um. So I want to, we're, we're getting towards the end of our time here. I want to do a couple of things. Um, you often have had, but particularly uh, right now, I know that you have your fingers in many musical pots. Um, can you just sort of go through the, the projects that you're working on right now, the stuff that you're... Uh... Thank you. Yeah, I'm... Um, uh, well, Gallo Glass is uh, a, a hardworking Irish band, Um and uh, I put a lot of time into that, um, as you know. And uh, we're growing exponentially and working hard on funky, fun arrangements of songs and tunes. And uh, we can be found at Stone's Row Brewery every first Wednesday from 7 to 9. 
And it's a it's a very nice space to come. Check us out, and you can learn more from there if you want. And uh, Tango Cowboys is a really neat group. Um, Rich Heinrichsen is a marvelous singer of old cowboy songs and Argentinian tangos. I do not play in the tangos yet, uh, or maybe never will. It's like very, <laughs> very difficult music. But Tom Bourne on guitar is a um, superb finger stylist and plays these stunning arrangements of cowboy songs and tangos. And we'll, we will be uh, at Bellingham Unitarian Church Saturday evening, 7 to 9, or it starts at 7, and we're opening up for a very famous uh, cowboy musician, Rob Quist, and his daughter, Halliday. So... That's this Saturday. Yeah, and you can find that you can find that on my site, uh, yonsongsproductions.com, and you'll see more information about that. So we're very excited about it. It's kind of a big deal thing. Um, Hambone Wilson is a is a ridiculously good blues guitarist, and every time we play together, it, the chemistry gets deeper. And you know, we had a, you know, we do occasional shows at Green's Corner, um, Aslan Depot. Um, and uh, it really pushes me to want to stay on um, my blues playing, both both from a really traditional standpoint and an innovative standpoint, whatever that means. Some people say they hear the Irish influence in my solos and they think it's really cool. Other people might hear it and go, I kind of wish you wouldn't do that. <laughs> and I'm like, well, and... Um, it's tough, you know, when, when all the uh, Irish musicians say they hear the blues and you're playing and all the blues musicians say they hear yeah. the Irish and you're playing. <laughs> you know, I took a lesson with a master the other day, a Skype lesson, Sandy Weltman, and he really encouraged you, me to continue to develop my own, you know, voice. And, and uh, that was really fun. Um, as a performer, I see that I'm developing some fun stuff on the harmonica and um, I see myself becoming um, more and more someone that people can call to hire for recordings. And I got to record with uh, Crooked Constellation right here uh, with Andy Rec Engineering, and they're very happy with the result. It was really fun to play on some of their tracks, a wonderful local group. And um, uh, I have a side project brewing that it's, I've been wanting to do for a while. It will be a mix of, of Irish and Americana and where I get to play guitar and bazooki and sing as well as um, a variety of sorts of tunes. It's not going to be locked, locked down into the Irish thing, which um, is, uh, I love both. <laughs> mm. Those are the main performance projects, and whenever I get to play with Robert Blake, it's a very special, ever-deepening joy. You may have just managed to bring it full circle. Yeah. And that was where we started the conversation. You meeting Robert Blake. Nice. Jan Peters, thank you so much for doing this. <laughs> David, thanks for having me. All right, that about does it for this episode. Thanks again to Jan for all he does to facilitate great music in our community. If you want to support his work, you can find more about him and his projects at jansongsproductions.com. 
And while you're surfing the interwebs, take a moment and visit our Patreon page to pledge your support for this program. That's patreon.com slash littlecitybigsound. This episode's interview was recorded at Binary Studios. Thanks, Bob. Our ad music is courtesy of Mystery Chi. Thanks, Joel. Our interviews are engineered and mixed by Andy Rick. Our theme music was written and performed by Andy Rick. And our logo was designed by Andy Rick. Thanks for everything, Andy. Little City Big Sound is a proud member of the Bell Pod Network, a collective of independent podcasts made right here in the city of subdued excitement. We'll wrap up this episode with a song that Jan shared with us in the studio. Here's This Is How I Pray. This is a song that when I was down there before got asked to be rendered by a choir director, um, Laura Sandage and Davis. And when I said, sure, so I went to the concert and sat in the front row and, and wept because it was so beautiful. And she had me stand up take, and take a bow. And I also got to perform it for a, um, a massive uh, Jewish renewal congregation a number of years ago because my cousin was a musical director down there, Brian Schachter. And he brought me, he hired me to be one of the musicians in the band. And boy, talk about a congregation that knows how to rock. <laughs> that was, so I did this song for them too. So And for me, what it is, it's like, I, I'm not a spiritual person in the sense of any kind of anything, and that's basically what this song is about, <laughs> except for paying attention. I believe in paying attention. I believe in noticing people. And um, I saw um, Buena Vista Social Club, which is a movie you have to see if you haven't, and the, the singer Ibrahim shows this to his altar. And there's a deity there that he worships. And I was so moved by his conviction and his, un, his, his like brilliant, shining faith in his relationship with this deity. And I thought to myself, I want that. You know, I, I don't have anything like that. But then I wrote this song. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to pray from every path I take I wander and stray I don't know how to pray I don't know who would care no I don't know who would care I've cried out in the night and no one there I don't know who would care Sometimes I wish I knew Yes, sometimes I wish I knew What, where, why or who Sometimes I wish I knew Now maybe this is how I pray Yes, this is how I pray I'll just
sing my love to all who come my way. This is how I pray. I'll just sing my love to all who come my way. This is how I pray. Jan Peters, thank you so much for doing this.